often. Faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kinzera, and as always, it is great to be with you today. Now, all of us look around, I think, and notice that we have some problems in our world that need to be addressed and overcome. However, I would say it's pretty easy to feel immobilized. And the reason that is, is simply because often we have no clue as to what our part of the solution is. Now, when we think about the great divides in our world right now, I mean, honestly, it's easy to sit back and think, what could we possibly do that could be helpful or healing in any way? And that, my friends, that is exactly the question our guest today had. So he got together with a bunch of his connections and tried to come up with some answers. Today, we chase goodness with Brian Elaine. I have a bachelor and master's degree in electrical engineering and an MBA. And I started out at Bell Laboratories, you know, working on communication devices, some of the early cell phones that were like enormous that would sit in the trunk of your car. They measured like a foot by a foot by four inches, something like that. Just this big brick. <laughs> After I went back to school and got an MBA, you know, I ended up in all kinds of different startup businesses, either startup companies or startup businesses within larger companies and led a lot of technology that was around voice over the internet or video in the, over the internet in its early days. But several years ago, one of my classmates from business school said, hey, how would you like to come and work with me? I've got a couple small companies I'd like you to help me run. And after I was there for a couple of years, he came into my office one day and said, I've got a project that I'd like you to work on. It's for my father-in-law, Frederick Beekner. And I, I had never heard of Frederick Beekner. And, and for people who are not familiar with him, he's now 95 years old. He's published 40-some books over a period of decades. One was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. One was nominated for the National Book Award. He's got like a dozen or so honorary degrees from all kinds of prestigious places. But through his career, he didn't do any marketing, no self-promotion, no marketing, no online presence whatsoever. So that's what his family asked me to help with. And so in December, 2012, we launched his first website and social media, and we built a seminary partnership program with 50 seminaries all over the world where we donate copies of his books to their students and we sponsor annual students awards for excellences in writing. We also came out with three new books by taking advantage of some transcripts that we made from audio or video that we found. That's what got me involved in the whole spiritual publishing arena. Then about five and a half years ago, I turned 60 and I said, okay, what do I want to do the rest of my life? That's when I started writing for your life, basically a resource center for spiritual writers and basically took what I learned in working for Mr. Beekner to help other spiritual writers. That's kind of <laughs> the surprising journey. It's like, if you would asked me 15 years ago, none of this was on my radar. I, I'm very grateful and thankful that 
basically this fell on my lap. <laughs> yeah. So you made the natural leap from electrical engineer to faith-based <laughs> writing. I mean, yeah, it seems exactly. like it's just a just real like natural else, trajectory. Know? Yeah. It's, everybody would assume that was what you were going to end up doing. <laughs> well, I love it. Well, that's a, that's a fascinating story. And the reason that we got connected is because you recently put out a publication that includes a number of different authors and thinkers and theologians and pastors and therapists called How to Heal Our Divides. And even before we pushed record on this podcast, I know we were just talking about how, you know, here we are at this stage in life that at some point we have to decide how to move forward when we're having these faith conversations in a world that is more divided than it ever has been during my lifetime. Everywhere you look, there's divides. And so when I heard that you had this compilation of how to heal our divides, because it's one thing if you, Brian, would have written this book, that would have been lovely. But to get kind of a holistic viewpoint from a number of different authors, I think that's more valuable when we're talking about this specific idea. So share a little bit where your inspiration to, to do this project came from. Sure, sure. So um, when the pandemic hit, I was planning eight writers' conferences in 2020, in-person, live writers' conferences at various cities around the country, either through my writing for your life business or my publishing and color business. And so, you know, that all went away, right? <laughs> and I converted, you know, them to be online and that worked out well, but, you know, I still had more time on my hands and I knew that all of my author friends who were going to be doing speaking engagements book introductions, book tours, book signings, all this kind of thing, that would all go away too. So I thought, what can I offer them? You know what I mean? To, to help them launch their books, to help them get more exposures. So I started doing video interviews. And I've been doing book launch interviews with people as they introduce new books. I, but I also started another interview series called Reading Hope in Trying Times, where, you know, this was kind of the early days of the pandemic. And I was asking people, okay, well, you know, how are you dealing with this? And what are you reading that would help you get through it? So that went really well. I kept getting introduced to more and more people and having really interesting conversations. So I said, okay, well, after the election, I would really like to do something about healing divides because I've never seen our country so polarized. You know, I just felt like, okay, I need to do my little part to help address what I perceive to be a really serious issue. So that was one kind of impetus behind it. So I was going to do a series of video interviews about you know this topic. The second thing was that I was doing a lot more reading myself, <laughs> right? And, and a lot about you know anti-racism, about political, religious issues, kinds of things. And one of the things that was kind of you know, these were great books, right? I mean, but they were all focused on convincing you that it's an issue, or here's the history behind the issue, or look inside yourself to examine your own biases, you know, all really good topics. But there was very little written about, okay, what do we do about it? So being kind of this pragmatic type person, I said, okay, well, rather than just doing a video interview series, why don't I see if I can turn that into a book? And, you know, ask the people that I'm going to be interviewing to write a chapter in the book. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's kind of where the idea came from. I started asking around, you know, people who I was connected with in about mid-November to say, hey, what do you think of this idea? You know, would you like to contribute? Do you have any other ideas for other people who you think would be good? So in mid-November is when that started. By Christmas, I was already oversubscribed with 
the number of people that said yes. You know, I was kind of aiming for like 25 or 30. I ended up with 33. So I said, okay, well, I'm on to something here. You know, I feel like I've hit a nerve. And so I decided, okay, well, it's not only going to just be a video interview series and a book, I'm going to turn it into a whole platform, meaning website, social media, podcast, you know, kind of the whole nine yards. <laughs> and so we set up a very aggressive schedule of when we asked people to have their chapters to us. And we thought about initially traditionally publishing the book, but it would have been like 2022 or 2023 before it showed up. And I thought to myself, this is too timely of a topic. I want to get this out quickly. So we self-published it. And the book was available on May 18th. Hmm. So from November, you know, middle of November to middle of May to pull together 33 contributors and turn it into a book. Um, so I think that's pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. I've heard like in a traditional publishing sense, light speed is 18 months. So to pull it off in five months, four or five months, that's unbelievable. One of the things that I love about the book is as I was going through it, the first maybe, maybe quarter of it is about why this matters. It might not even be that much. And then the, the totality of the remainder of the book is all about how you can get involved and what can be done, which I think that was what attracted me so much to the project is, you know, we can talk all day about why we need to do whatever, but then to give me some practical ideas of what I can do. Cause I think that's where a lot of people are stuck right now. I think a lot of people are looking around saying, this is messed up. This is, we've got some big problems, but what can I do? What can I possibly do to make a difference? And that's what I love about this book. And I do love too. It's not a bunch of single-minded people. You have a wide variety. You have um, authors and thinkers, of course, like Brian McLaren. There's a therapist, Molly LaCroix, who was on this podcast. We have pastors like the Reverend Brandon Robertson, you have activists like Shane Claiborne and Guthrie Grace Fitzsimmons. I'm just like spinning some of them that I that caught my attention of people that I know. But you've got this wide variety of people whose expertise are in very different spaces, which I think then legitimizes the mission of what you're trying to accomplish. Well, thank you. I mean, and, and you're right. I mean, there are four chapters out of the 33 that are kind of the introduction, which is the, you know, why this matters kind of thing. And so first I thought, well, you know, I need somebody to write an introduction. I thought, well, why don't I just have one introduction? Let me have four of them, you know what I mean? Because they get more go. people involved. So, but as you said, the majority of the book was trying to solve this angst that I had of, okay, what do we do about it? So I wanted to highlight organizations that are doing specific things, you know, like racial reconciliation training or political forums, or how to have better arguments. And then there's, you know, one about immigration. There's one about internal healing, like you mentioned from Mali. There's one about the relationship with indigenous Americans. One about abilities, the spectrum of different abilities that we have. So in any event, I, I was trying to provide folks with a set of options, you know, a set of role models in different areas that were all trying in very pragmatic, real ways, not just talking, but actually doing something to heal these different types of divides. Yeah. It's so, so wonderful. And, and that's really the, the type of materials I think we need in our hands right now, hearing from people that are on the ground doing things that matter so that 
we can either consider what to get involved with or what to start in our own communities, however we want to think about that. I know for myself, it just helps me to hear what other people are doing because number one, it's inspirational. Number two, it helps me understand how to support them. And then maybe number three, it helps me to know whether I should get involved with something similar. And I think we need more and more people's projects getting out there in front of the masses in order to understand what is actually happening as we move forward. So what would be your hope for somebody who picks up this book? I know you you really felt like you wanted to push it out fast because such a time as this, right? And so what would be your hope for somebody picking up this book? I would say there are two main things. One is to provide hope for you. We're constantly bombarded with all this negative news, right? I mean, if whatever channel on TV or anywhere else that you subscribe, you know, it's constantly about all these really difficult issues. You hear very little about all these people, all these organizations are actually doing good things and they're out there. And until you start doing some research, you know, and, and networking around these folks, these organizations, you just wouldn't naturally stumble upon them. So that's number one is to provide people with some glimpse into, Hey, there's a lot of us that are really trying to work hard to make a positive difference in our world. The second thing is that, yes, I would hope that people would be motivated to get involved, you know, in one of the organizations that's highlighted or, you know, get inspired by that to start your own, you know, in some particular area. Like there's two different chapters that are about food, you know, using dinner, you know, as a mechanism for, community building, you know, and the healing device. So one is called Dinner Church. The other one is called the People's Supper. And in both cases, you know, they're trying to bring people together across divides by feeding them <laughs> and building community. So, you know, you can start one in your hometown, right? Or anybody can emulate some of these different kinds of ideas. So in any event, I would say those are the two main things. Provide people with hope and give them inspiration to actually do something themselves. That reminds me when you're talking about the organizations that are founded around food, just post 9-11, when everybody was condemning Muslims, my family and I were out at a park and the only other family that was there, it was obvious that they were Middle Eastern Muslim family. And it was just our two families there. And so of course our kids start playing together because their kids had a soccer ball, you know, and then the parents kind of navigate over towards each other. And we ended up having this conversation and then we, you know, like you do with people who are trying to kill you, because all Muslims are trying to kill all Christians, obviously. We invited them over to dinner and they brought some traditional Saudi Arabian food. We made whatever pizza or something like that. And we had this beautiful conversation and we just opened it up of saying, hey, here's some questions I have about Islam. And here's some questions I have about Christianity. There was a time in the middle of the dinner where they stopped to pray. And all of it was just this beautiful opportunity to be with one another across our divides and learn so much and just end with hugs and, and, you know, well wishes for one another. Sometimes it's just the most basic things in the world that can solve some of the biggest problems in our world. I want to dig into a little bit of some of the other projects that you have. Share a little bit about the writing business that you have and what it is that you're trying to accomplish through that, which is ultimately where How to Heal Our Divides came from. First one I started was called Writing for Your Life. That was born because of the work that I'd done on behalf of Frederick Beekner, both you know, writing conferences as well as just learning about this industry. Just like other industries that I've been in the past, the people inside the industry assume that the whole rest of the world knows how it works. And people outside the industry have no idea how it works. So there's just a lot, 
a lot of education for people that are trying to be an author, you know, for them to learn, you know, how this works, what are the drivers, how do you get into it, you know, all those kinds of things. So, so writing for your life basically is a resource center where I try to give away as many things for free as I possibly can. Articles, interviews, downloadable guides, how to do a book launch, how to independently publish your book, things like that. How to do a book proposal, you know, for our traditional published book. And then we do conferences. You know, as I mentioned, initially they were in-person conferences. And since the pandemic, they've been all online. And as I was beginning that, one of the things I kept hearing is that writers of color are really underrepresented in terms of the number of books get published. So I said, okay, well, you know, I'm not an agent. I'm not an editor. You know, I've never worked at a publishing company. But everywhere I've ever been in business, there's so much that matters on who you know and who knows you. So I said, well, let me start a conference series that is just intended to foster relationships between writers of color and people from the publishing industry and also some education. You know, like I was saying, I mean, people that are not experienced in this industry, you know, it's all new. So we started publishing in color conferences. 2018 was the first one of those. Again, initially in person, now online. Mm -hmm. And then about two years ago, I started another avenue called Compassionate Christianity. It's at CompassionateChristianity.org. And it's meant to be an online focal point for progressive Christians. So the audience for the first two businesses is primarily writers, in particularly early stage spiritual writers. Whereas Compassion Christianity, the, the audience is progressive Christians more generally. The progressive Christian community tends to be very fragmented. Mm-hmm. You know, and so Compassion Christianity is primarily a curation effort where we point to what other people are doing and just try to consolidate it, you know, in one location. And then, of course, the fourth major project now is How to Heal Our Divides, which, as I said, came out of the other three, really, and and primarily because of the relationships that I was able to establish by doing all these writers' conferences or the Compassion Christianity work. I love it. A friend of mine, Spencer Burke, he's coined this phrase called humane spirituality, which when he talks about it, it sounds exactly like when you talk about compassionate Christianity. Brian, the other thing about your book or about the book, because it's kind of your book, but it's kind of everybody's book. Right? Yeah, I didn't write it. Anyhow. Right. There's there's no, none the of back, The back cover is the only text that I wrote. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that back cover is like gold. I've never read it. <laughs> and I only wrote by me a paragraph. That was it. The other thing that's beautiful about it is even though it sounds like you would consider yourself a Christian. A lot of the authors of this book are Christian. There's This is across a number of different faith backgrounds. I know for sure I saw a rabbi in there. And so this yeah. is a, an interfaith book as well, correct? Yeah. I mean, I was, it was intentionally trying to not just be Christian focused, you know, I mean, by nature of my network, as you said, most of the people that wrote chapters are, but several of the chapters talk about peacemaking between different forms of religion. So there's an organization called Telos. There's Peace Catalyst International. There's Corey Melia in, in Ireland. There's several organizations that are discussed in the book that specifically are around healing different types of religious divides. And some of them are the Christian-Muslim divide that you were kind of talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so fast forward, let's say 10 years more of this work is happening over a decade. What would your hope be for our world, our country, even our our faith spectrum? 
what would your hope be in the next decade for all of us to maybe have a better way forward? Well, certainly more open and accepting um, of each other and being able to have civil conversations about difficult topics. That I think is, you know, tremendously, I'll say lost art. You know I mean? It just doesn't happen nearly as much as it needs to these days. As I said, everything's become so polarized. So I think, you know, being willing to listen and realize that no two people are ever going to agree on 100% of everything, particularly when you're talking about religion and politics and things like that, right? I've never met anybody, my wife included, that, you know, is 100% agreement with everything that I think, right? So in any event, I would say that would be the first thing. And I, I did a webinar series a few weeks ago with several progressive Christian authors. And one of them is Angela Denker and her wish, which I thought was really powerful was for truth. <laughs> you know, that has become a malleable term, <laughs> you know, right. whose truth, you know, my truth or your truth or a lack of commonly accepted truth. And it's difficult to have conversations or any kind of agreement on things until you have some common understanding of truth. I just hope that these organizations that are trying to help us cross these divides, bridge these uh, issues, grow and have success, and there's more of them. And as a culture, as a society, we learn how to get along. I don't want to let you off the hook quite that easily because when you bring up a word like truth, that is something that, oh boy, it's, it's something that's a trigger word for a lot of people. It's also something that's a bit of a foundational word for another group of people. How do we take this idea of truth? Or if we don't want to use that word, what kind of common ground could we possibly find? Say I have a family, hypothetically here, not hypothetically at all, where we have some people that are very conservative, right-winged, Republican voting people who are wonderful human beings, but they're way over there. And then in another part of my family, I have liberal Catholics who are tree huggers. You know, where, do, where would we ever start to find any sort of common ground? Yeah, I mean, excellent question. Of course, there is a chapter in the book, believe it or not, that kind of specifically addresses your question. And it's from a pastor in suburban Denver, by the name of Mark Feldmeyer. And he wrote a book that came out last year. One of the best ones that I read was called A House Divided. And the book was basically encapsulation of a sermon series that he did on specifically the most difficult topics. And, you know, he gave the sermon series in a church that was all over the map in terms of uh, political affiliation and other you know, kinds of affiliations. So his approach in doing that was to find some, he called them axioms, but basically a, a kind of basic set of common, you could call it truth or common understanding, whatever you want to call it, the things that most people on both sides would agree with and start the discussion there. So it was not only a sermon series, but it was also discussion groups within his church. And apparently the thing was just like really well received. And if you read the book, I 
you know, was very impressed with the pragmatic aspect of it and the effectiveness of it. So I asked him to write a chapter in How to Heal Our Divides, basically talking about his book and, and, and what he had done, because I just thought the approach was just outstanding. We have to start where we agree, and then we can build out because then at least we know we have some some commonality. The trick, though, is in our society, people love the extreme spaces because it just rallies people up. You know, it's common enemies rally people really quickly. And so the trick is that I think we're going to have to work pretty hard to get people willing to come around the table because it's awfully comfortable when we're around people that think like us, but the real healing of our world is going to come when we start getting around the table with people who aren't like us or don't think like us so that we can start identifying some of those commonalities. What you said a minute ago is absolutely the case of people will jump to conclusions when they hear somebody from the opposite side saying something or doing something. Their natural inclination is to assume that everybody that affiliates with that X whether it's political party or religion or whatever, that everyone is affiliated with that does the same thing or thinks the same thing, you know, which is not the case, right? So this painting that we do in our minds of the other side, us versus them, is another one of these things that contributes to this polarization and it's got to be overcome. As we bring this home today, a number of things jump out at me from Brian's words. First is this, at any point, you can change what you're doing in this world as doors open. Brian was an engineer of all things, who found through a number of open doors, who found his passion in books. Your current reality doesn't have to define your future at all. And if you're open and willing, you just never know what might happen. Second, this isn't something we can do on our own. And I think too often throughout history, we have relied on the expert voices of a few. But the truth is that healing our divides is going to take all of us doing our part in our own spaces. The book Brian organized, Healing Our Divides, has 33 authors sharing their own perspectives and their own passions. Not because they have the answer, but because they have their own answer for their specific space in the world. And then finally, I think we can learn from this project that we don't all have to think alike in order to come up with real and practical solutions. I think it actually seems to benefit us if we think differently. So what's your part of this puzzle? It could be as simple as having a conversation over a meal or as complex as starting an organization that addresses the healing that's needed in your community. The worst thing that we can do is to assume that the answer lies with someone else. You have the answer to something. And if we all do our part, we will see healing in this divided and fractured world. Thanks for listening. As always, be sure to subscribe to the show, give it a five-star rating, and write a review. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Matt Kinzera. And I would love to hear your thoughts and connect with you on any level. For more information on the book, How to Heal Our Divides, and Brian's other work, simply go to howtohealourdivides.com. Keep chasing goodness wherever you are.